0: All right, as you have seen, probably now, if you are subscribed to the channel or looking for this content that you've noticed that the channel name has changed and some other things have, uh, are not quite the same. And that's merely all it is. It's just a name change and some logo changing. Um, it doesn't change any of the content that'll be here on the channel. Uh, I just wanted to differentiate between Vianon Capta being not like the main lead company because Vianon Capta, when it really boiled down to it, is the RPG. It wasn't intended to be a multi video thing. So I changed it so that there was no confusion. Originally, the, the channel was just going to be Vianon Capta because I was only going to put the RPG stuff up there. So it didn't really matter um but then uh, i had this idea what to do with caleb and now uh it just didn't feel right to have it be just that so now it is called the daystrom holodeck and uh i just tried to come up with something that sounded interesting but also star Trekky, and didn't really uh i don't know just didn't mess with things too badly
1: yeah
0: So the other thing is, and Caleb sort of knows most of this, is that uh, anybody who has watched season two, episode three of Strange New Worlds um, knows that they've done some significant uh, rewriting of Star Trek. And that's fine. I like it. It's good. I don't have any problems with it. I'm not upset about it. It's fine. It just affects uh, our watching the star trek chronologically and uh, as much as i really want to sit and do strange new worlds together with caleb just because this is fun doing this season and he's getting to see stuff and then you know it's stuff later to enjoy i honestly think the more exposed to this and then going into the old stuff it's going to be more like hey why isn't this like this or what happened with this and It's weird that they don't make mention of this. And originally it was just like, yeah, what are you going to do? The writers of 2020 only have so much that they can go on to. Well, now it's a different timeline. So um, we're not going to do season two on the channel. That doesn't mean that Caleb's not going to watch it. We're just not going to cover it. So after we conclude season one of Strange New Worlds, we're just going to jump right into the Kirk stuff. That'll be okay. We'll just we'll just go through that, and we'll just we'll work our way to the older stuff, and Caleb will get to enjoy Strange New Worlds on his own, and and uh, maybe maybe there'll be a way or something we can do to like a side yeah. thing or something where we can upload like brief thoughts or something, but.
2: Your show has been affected by the temporal cold war.
0: It has. It has. It certainly has. It wasn't an easy decision. I I didn't I wanted to, but it just I don't know what the rest of the season two is gonna do. I don't know what they're gonna introduce and what they're gonna cover. And they're just getting more and more. Yeah. There basically a lot more stuff is happening in the season that you're like, hmm. <laughs> you're like that's gonna be hard to explain. How are well, they going think... to get out of this this thing that they're writing? They're like writing themselves into a corner, and you're like, "Well, yeah. how are they going to get to the original series?" And then, lo and behold, this episode comes out, and you're like, "Oh, well, that's how they're doing it."
1: So.
2: I think what's happening is like the show is very successful. They want to keep going. They want to keep writing. So yeah. they know, like Pike, kind of has this time frame, and if they want to try to get around that and keep producing a, a successful show, then. That have well, do the insane thing
0: that I was thinking was now it's a new timeline, right? Yeah. So Strange New Worlds goes as long as it can go, whatever, six, seven years. And then they're like, okay, here's the original series with new people. And that goes wow. seven years. And they're like, great, that was great. Now here's the next generation, or here's their... Here's Kirk movies with new cast people. It's like a thing where you know, in thirty years, we might be literally watching the next generation like again.
2: That's with, like, crazy.
0: Younger people playing the characters.
2: What? Yeah, that's insane.
0: Yeah. So that'll be it, and uh, I'll be uh, I'll be fascinated to see what Caleb thinks when he gets to that uh season two episode oh boy <laughs>
1: and uh, <laughs>
0: i think if my math is correct i think somewhere in the middle of august we should be starting
2: kirk so yay yay there's something on the wing <laughs> i'm all for it i it's like a time capsule you know yeah program
1: complete enter when ready
0: so, uh, crack on in it.
2: This one should be pretty straightforward. I mean, it's yeah, one fluid story without all these revolving.
0: Well, you got the on
2: Una thing, so yeah,
0: that's going to be the cut cutaway thing.
2: Skip it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't talk about it.
2: Do what the producers couldn't. Skip it. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> so it is treason, then. <laughs> <clears throat> Risk.
0: Risk is our business.
2: It was founded to seek out new life. Well,
0: there it sits.
1: Ah, 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 Rock and roll! Six. We're not afraid of diversity. We don't persecute it, we embrace it. At least I won't die alone. planets
0: and reach for the stars
1: those were the days
0: all right welcome back to another re review where we cover an episode of star trek weekly my name is will and this is my co-host spock oh it would have been funny if I did, if the blooper I did that last time, right? Because I not know play, would have played right to it.
2: Yeah. This is Caleb, Caleb reporting for duty.
0: also known as Spock,
2: aka Spock Jr.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Spock Jr., yeah. <laughs> this week we'll be covering episode five of Strange New World with the episode entitled Spock Amuck. It originally aired June 2nd, 2022. It was written by Henry Alonzo Myers and Robin Wasserman. And it was directed by Rachel Leiterman. The synopsis for the episode is, It's a comedy of manners when Spock has a personal visit in the middle of of Spock and Captain Pike's crucial negotiations with an unusual alien species. So, Caleb, what...
2: Did you think of the episode? I really enjoyed this episode, actually. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: I was wondering how, when I was watching it myself, I you know, again, knowing what I know what happens, but I was like, I wonder if he's gonna like any of
1: this. Yeah.
2: No, it was fun. It's a fun episode. It uh I always like seeing more like Spock do stuff and 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 the fact that like he is like so good in the show. Mm-hmm. Kind of went to the fact that like he uh kind of shows some of his acting skills a little bit, you know,
0: yeah, I mean, him and the the other actress who plays to is,
2: yeah, they're really good like
0: they're have to, they she both of them have to carry the show, basically,
2: yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah, and I just like it. I like seeing um everything from somebody else's point of view, like the mm-hmm. whole overarching story, you know that's the whole thing is like they don't understand. Why something is important to the other person?
1: Yeah,
2: and um, yeah. So I really, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it a lot. It felt, it felt pretty Star Trekky. You know, something like yeah, oh, yeah. bad, crazy happens right before something important needs to take place. Yeah,
0: oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you got to deal with it. The funny thing is, is I, I thought how how tough it would be for, um. The lady who plays to praying because it's like not only does she have to, I think her name is like yeah, Gia Sand who She looks uh, really
2: familiar to me.
0: Oh, uh, I don't know. She might be from something. I don't know. But second that she has to not only like now be like she's just her natural self. Now she can't be. So, praying she has to be spock but she has to be like specifically ethan peck's spock and then it's like ethan peck is trying yep. to mimic leonard nimoy so it's just like it's this several layer
2: well and not to mention too it's this thing where um she is playing like a vulcan too right, right so right. like and on top of it, yeah. so like already you're already acting like like logical and like very direct, and now she has to play like that, but a different <laughs> version of that. Yeah. And Spock is, you know, as we learned in this episode, he's more kind of favors human side sometimes, yeah. yeah, which is cool. I I really like seeing that specifically, like his, uh... yeah. Because I don't, I I didn't know that. Like in, I never knew that Spock was like half human. I didn't know, know if you knew that in the original series or not. You
1: find out later. Okay. It's like, yeah. not like the first episode. You find out a handful of episodes in.
2: Yeah, and apparently, according to Google, to pring is a thing going forward. Yes. Which is interesting. They're giving Spock like a past love interest before oh. he's old, but yeah, apparently he she was in original series too she is in the original series so that's cool I like that yeah 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 she looks a little different
1: she does yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> but no no you'll talk about it, never. <laughs> you know what I really like is the callback to Spock's um like meditation um oh yes yes like scarf thing yeah yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty sweet
1: it is cool
0: here we go On Vulcan, Spock arrives at the ritual site of his family for the Kunat Kalifi, where his betrothed T'Pring and a number of other Vulcans await. He takes the mallet and strikes the ritual gong, and the bell ringers begin their ringing. The Mistress of Ceremonies beckons T'Pring forward, but as Spock approaches, T'Pring notices his ears. Spock now appears fully human, with rounded ears, and is wearing his Starfleet uniform. T'Pring declares she will not marry a human and invokes the fee, The ritual duel to the death, as two weapon bearers come f- forward carrying Lurpa. Spock asks who he will fight. T'Pring points to another Vulcan in the crowd. Spock again, with fully Vulcan features. The human appearing Spock protests that fighting oneself was illogical, but quickly takes up the Lurpa. has his Vulcan self slashes at him with it. The Vulcan Spock quickly disarms his human self and sneeringly asks what he would know of logic. He was only human, ruled by emotion. The human Spock looks fearful as the Vulcan Spock raises his Lerpa for the killing blow, just as Spock awakens. He is in his quarters aboard the USS Enterprise, and he is alone. He goes to the mirror near his bed to confirm that his ears are still pointed and feels them for himself, just to be sure.
1: Dun, dun, yeah dun, yeah. Dun, 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 dun.
0: <laughs> yeah how sweet was that yeah right it was pretty awesome i still I like that, that music still carries right like that's what's yeah. funny like it still it
1: still works
2: yeah it, it does and it works really good too i um yeah i really like this intro it's um it's cool like obviously like you knew it's it's a spock streaming but like it's yeah, just a cool like representation of like what is inner like fighting is,
0: yeah. and even though it's like in a dream you get you I mean you as a viewer, you get to see a lot more of Vulcan like how Vulcan is like yeah sort of generally look you know
1: yeah which
0: is nice because it's one of the funny things and it happened it happens in this episode when they talk Vulcan to each other. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that like Spock is is like I don't know it's like the Yoda of of Star Trek where like mm-hmm. everyone loves Spock and like across the board. And yeah. it's funny to me that Klingon, speaking Klingon and Klingon things, is what is popular in the Star Trek community to the point where they're like, you can speak Klingon and learn Klingon and dress like a Klingon, but yet yeah, speaking Vulcan and all that stuff like doesn't have the same, like there's not the same amount of uh, attention and like care to it, which is
2: it's yeah, just, it's, it is that is funny
0: because like when you hear him talk. Both of them speak Vulcan. You're like, ooh, wow, yeah. You don't hear that too frequently, and it's just no. like, but why not? Like, it's Spock. you
2: hear like phrases and stuff, right, but you never exactly. hear like full yeah. dialect, which is interesting too, because it's like if they're so proud of their Vulcan heritage, it's funny that they even speak English like norm, like in their day to day lives. Anyway, you know what I mean? True, sure, true, sure, true. Sure. And so, what would she have done if the human Spock won that battle?
0: They would have had to love him and kiss him.
2: But she said she wouldn't marry a human.
0: <laughs> yeah. The really cool thing is, and I, you know, I'm not going to talk about it too much, but like this whole thing is very, is borrowed from another episode, which is really cool.
1: Gotcha. That's cool.
0: It's also funny, too, that they, the only thing, too, I wish that the, they made Ethan pack human, like Spock, look. Basically, just like him in a uniform, right? They just basically did yeah. give him the wig or combed his hair differently, or something and yeah. in this uniform. And I wish the Vulcan Spock was a little like he had more, like they had given him more prosthetics or something to just make him look even more alien.
2: Yeah, like, yeah. I appreciate too that like the human, the human Spock had like his. Uniform and his Delta on clearly mm. showing them that, like, that's his human alliance. And then Vulcan Spock was like in like ceremonial like robes and stuff. Like, yeah. I, I like that it was cool, yeah, that's true. Because that's pretty much what makes him like lean more towards like humans is like being a part of the Federation,
0: yeah, exactly. Because that's what
2: they always talked about, like, with to Paul, it was always like, I don't know how you live on the ship yeah. with all these disgusting humans.
0: Okay, science officer's log, stardate (laughs) 2341.4. After our harrowing encounter with the Gorn, (laughs) Enterprise has returned to Starbase One, one of the oldest, most venerated space stations in the Federation, newly repaired after the Klingon War. Here, the crew will be adjourning for some much-needed rest and relaxation. While I have agreed to assist the captain with a diplomatic matter, I plan to spend most of my time here with my fiance to Prang, who has arranged to join me since our last visit was cut short by. In the midst of his log entry, Spock is interrupted by the chime at his door. It is to Prang, who greets him in the formal manner, parted from me, but never parted, never and always touching and touched, meeting at the appointed place. Spock gives the formal answer before kissing her. Topring casts a critical eye around the room saying that it looked very human and she found it hard to believe a Vulcan slept there. Spock replies that these were his quarters and he was in the process of redecorating. She withdraws her criticism until his redecorating is complete and thanks him for arranging accommodations for her colleague, Katil. Spock hopes she finds them adequate before asking to Pring about her presence there. Topring asks, if he knows about her professional responsibilities, and Spock recalls that she was engaged in rehabilitating people for their crimes by showing them the true path of Vulcan logic. Topring explains that one such person, Barjan T'or, has been reported in the area. Spock recalls that he had been responsible for the uprising on Kepler-22b. The Vulcan authorities had sought him for some time. Spock thinks that T'Pring has some work ahead of her, but she replies that this was the reason that Katil uh, accompanied her. She reminds him that the last time they were together, it had been his duty that interrupted them, and believes they must prioritize their relationship. Spock agrees, but adds that he had some responsibilities to deal with beforehand. T'Pring, somewhat cold now, answers... That she expected nothing less. He thinks her disappointed, but she says she is realistic. He assures her he will be free to dine with her that night.
2: It's kind of cool. So it like sets up like what she's there for.
0: Yeah, and I like that it makes sense that she's on the ship and
2: like kind of kind of sense like the tension between them in that like opening yeah. thing where yeah he's like oh but you have this and she's like. Well, yeah, that's why I brought, like, an advisor. I don't have to be there. (laughs) He was like, yeah, but I don't have one of those. (laughs) Nope. I don't have a replacement.
0: I can't quite remember, but I think uh, her kind of finding these people to uh, bring them back reminds me a lot of that episode of Topal going after the... Mm trying to capture that guy on, on the planet and chasing him down and all that stuff.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: think it's called, like, The Seventh, I think is the name of the episode. But, yeah. It's kind of similar.
2: Yeah, what was his deal again? He, he didn't start an uprising, but he was...
0: Uh... He was a fugitive
1: where...
2: That's the one I always talk about, the planet where it rains acid. Yes, he has... He tricks him in the ship. He hides in that little hologram. Oh, that's what it was. It,
0: he was a... He surgically altered himself and he was a Vulcan operative who was assigned to infiltrate a cell of smugglers, but eventually became one himself.
2: Wow. Well, that yeah, makes so sense.
0: Kind of like that episode, but not super much of that
2: episode. Yeah, so her her thing in this is that she's trying to get people to like come back yeah to like the way of the Vulcan
0: yeah so the the type of person that she's trying to get is like an individual who has sort of like renounced their way like fully logical ways they're much more emotional and kind of let their emotions dictate who they are so they've kind of they kind of give up being like Vulcan
2: yeah I thought in this time period, like, that wasn't, like, necessarily, like, a bad thing.
0: It's not necessarily, like, incredibly bad. It's more of, like, a lot of Vulcans who break away from that type of thinking usually become, like, criminals. Yeah. Because that's kind of Spock's point in it. He's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that guy. He, he, was, he was a part of this uprising.
2: Yeah, that that's I get. That's bad, man.
0: It's kind of like well, his uprising probably was was really less of like blow things up and destroy I and mean, kill people. It was probably more like he was encouraging people to, you know, to yeah, change their way of thinking or something.
2: Because that last season of Enterprise was very much like they found that old tablet and realized that like that's not what the teaching was ever supposed to be. It wasn't there weren't supposed to be so. Like logical about everything,
0: like everything, yeah,
2: yeah. It showed that like the council like hid stuff from people that they didn't agree with, yes, just because they didn't like it.
0: It's basically things like mind melds, and um, as you see in this episode, like Katra changing, like like that type of stuff, yeah. and then like be- being less xenophobic and being more open. And things like that were kind of like rejected.
2: Yeah, okay.
0: They thought like, oh, well, they're disgusting acts. And they're like, no, that's kind of like what it is. Plus yeah. a lot of it too, as you learned in that episode, is um, I don't know if only one or a couple of the guys on the council were like were Romulans. So it's like they were also suppressing. Oh, like the Vulcan people
2: the other thing. The two that was funny about this episode is like when you get to the treaty stuff. It's always like, no matter like what part of space you're in, it's always like Romulan territory or. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's either the Klingons or the Romulans. Right?
2: Yeah, they're like, oh well, this is this. Yeah, they're right on the border of Klingon and Romulan space. Like, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> yep. It's very much like. Because this was made in this in the sixties, it's very much like a call to like westerns of like, oh you have a wagon a wagon trail with your cattle, and you have to get through like yes. Indian land and form yes. roads and. Yes,
0: the Vulcans are our Native Americans, yeah, and the Romulans were like evil Native Americans, and yeah. the Klingons are basically like, I think in a in a sad way, I think they were just supposed to be like. Foreign people. What about the
2: Orions?
0: They're more like smugglers. They're more like pirates. It's kind of.
2: They're slavers.
0: Yeah. In the conference room, Captain Pike, Spock, and Cadet Akura are being briefed by Admiral April, who shows a map displaying highlighting the Rongovian Protectorate, a small but vitally important piece of territory between the Klingon Empire and the Romulan Star Empire. It's the fastest route to to the other side of the Beta Quadrant, but without safe passage. The Federation keeps losing ships there. Pike asks why there have been no inroads made with them before. And April replies that they have been unusually private up to that point. That changed after a diplomatic overture by the Tellarites. Pike, with a somewhat knowing look, asks how that went. The admiral looks mildly amused as he brings up footage of a Rongovian getting into Tellarite Ambassador Corral's face, saying that his beard was as ridiculous as his proposals. And that every word was an insult to Rongovia. Wow. And here I thought the Tellarites were rude, Pike observes. April muses that Corral said the wrong thing, but they didn't have time to speculate. The Rongovians had opened negotiations with the Klingons, and the Romulans were not far behind. Time was not on their side. Pike is confident they can handle negotiations with more grace than the Tellarites, which is good, April notes, because they were meeting with the Rongovian delegation the following day. The Rongovian representative would be the one who had met with Koral, Vassal Legalia captain of the Rogovian flagship, which was docked to the station. Her recognizes the ship as a solar sail ship, which April explains was brought out for ceremonial occasions. Whenever the Rongovians sign a treaty, they fly their new allies' flag in tribute.
2: Yeah, that ship was cool.
0: That ship was very cool. I always like when they show older, like the Tellarites and stuff like that. Yeah. Just like any of the old original founding species i'm always like hey cool you know
2: there's a couple other things that i recognize in this episode too was like uh the Bolian.
0: oh yeah yeah
2: <laughs> yeah i was like oh that's cool
0: i like how they introduce these new aliens because it's like him yelling at the teller right? kind of clues you in like immediately like I was when I first saw the episode, I was like, "Mm, "That's interesting that he's being rude to the Tellarite because that's what Tellarites do." So it's like I was already kind of clued in that maybe this guy, this is what they do. Yeah, they just mimic how they're how like,
2: especially when they, especially when they come in, talk to the humans. Yeah, Starfleet. It's very much like they're totally. You're like, okay, something's going on with these guys. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Further discussion is interrupted by La'an, who is who reports Course. a problem. <laughs>
2: Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Rangovian delegation has arrived already and are demanding to speak to Pike immediately. Pike has her show them in, and their spokesman begins by saying that they have been sitting and waiting on their ship while the Federation officers discuss the upcoming negotiations. April recognizes him as Captain Vasso. When the Admiral identifies himself, Vasso bluntly states he will only speak to Captain Pike. Captain identifies himself and tries to break the tension by saying if he had known the delegates were coming early, he would have cooked cooked them up an Earth specialty. Vasso laughs and appears glad to meet the Captain, formally identifying himself, and his first officer, Brax, uh, Pike introduced Spock, Uhura, and La'an, the latter of whom leaves to attend to the security things. Brax sees Spock as a Vulcan, famous for logic, and believes he is a vo- has a voice in the Federation's governance. Spock replies that all Federation members have a voice in, in its governance, something the Rangovian finds confusing, to which an amused Pike agrees. When Vaso asks how they determine who is in control, Pike explains that it is determined by a vote, an effort to listen to all their members' voices. The Rongovians too, are listeners, as empathy is a strong part of their society, something few people understand. Clapping Pike on the shoulder, Vaso chooses to get started with the negotiations. The thing yeah. I liked the, the most about this was just the fact that and it keeps happening, like the more they talk and they like poke at like, why should we join the Federation? Mm -hmm. I like the realism of it that like, rather than just being like, well, the Federation's great. And of course you want to be a part of it, you moron. Yeah. I like as it goes on, (laughs) it's it's like they have to really, they force, the writers did a good job of like forcing the characters to explain it. Like, why, why would you join the Federation? Like what makes the Federation so great? in comparison to other places. And
2: not just seem like it's just another corporation that's trying to like can take right. control of like majority of yeah. like outer space. Because I had because that's do... very much what it feels like sometimes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing that I had to do when we were writing the game and you guys went to Kate and met the Khians. I had to like okay now yeah. I have to sit down and like
2: yeah,
1: explain, how do I it.
0: explain it. Like why why what what makes you guys better than the klingons you know type of thing so
2: yeah that was a little bit easier of a battle <laughs> yeah sure <true. laughs> yeah i like that i like that in this episode i like like the negotiation and like reasoning why and how that would be confusing that like it's not just one person in control
0: so, meanwhile, Lieutenant Ortegas and Nurse Chapel arrive in sickbay, looking for Dr. Mbenga, <laughs> telling him that they were ready to go for shore leave. While they are in casual clothes, the doctor is still in uniform, surprised that it was time already. He has been collecting data to share with his colleague, Dr. Barroa, an expert in non-invasive surgical techniques, who has come all the way from the other side of the quadrant to meet him. Meanwhile, Ortega asks about a Lieutenant Dever. Whom Chapel has been involved with, asking if she should keep a communicator open or rely on hand signals. Chapel re- replies there was no need. The thing she liked about Dever was how they were on the same page, the casual, no attachments, this is just for fun, zero commitments page, as she puts. Ortegas notes that this was more of a book than a page and reminds Chapel that she had the same thing about a woman. On Argelius II, something Chapel calls a misunderstanding, as it was only one time. Ortegas corrects it to be one very entertaining time, to which Chapel asks how being chased by live phaser fire could be fun. And Benga steps out, fully packed and still in uniform, but with a hat adorned with fish lure, fishing lures. And Benga plans to go fly fishing, having heard the biospheres on the starbase had everything. I like his hat. Yeah, me too. I do like like his
2: hat. Yeah, I'm glad you actually got to see him like fish a little bit too in that one, (laughs) like that one throwaway scene. It was a very much throwaway scene, but it still was funny. It's cool. I always like to I always like to see shore leave.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny how, um, it's funny what the what the writers decide for these
0: people, right? i don't know if there's anything in the original series that speaks to any of these characters like what they're what they're expressing in any of this so it's just funny they're like okay we're gonna make nurse chapel be this like flirty go by the seat of your pants kind of person and like ortegas is like just a person who just is looking forward to shore leave and yeah hangs out <laughs> and then like benga mm. goes to like medical conferences and then go fly fishing and yeah
2: it's not really shore leave it's like a work trip almost
0: right exactly
2: because that's what's always funny too but but um malcolm and tucker did the same thing i mean they they would always go like hang out at the local bar or you know yeah try to like hook up but like it's funny that like you go on shore leave and you just go sit at the bar it's like you could just do that on enterprise <laughs> i'm sure you just hang out. It's true. But I like seeing the other the other term of that. Like I really like seeing like um Una and uh Lon and they're like they just love being on the ship when it's empty. Yes, 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 yes. I like seeing that. I like that too a lot. It speaks to their characters too more. The
0: other thing I thought that was funny was when he was like, I'm gonna go fly fishing on the biospheres, and I was thinking, aren't those things like protected? Like, are they gonna let you
1: fly fish on those things? <laughs> but That's
2: okay. It's yeah, the, I'm sure. I'm sure they're populated.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. But, in the transport, he says room,
2: he says fly fishing, and then he goes and stands on the edge of the water and casts a rod and reel, like not fly fishing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in the transporter room, Una and Laon are supervising the departing crew. Or tells Laon she didn't have to check them out in person, but Laon believed it was the only way. To make sure it was done right, before remarking on Mbenga's nice hat. Mbenga sighs and takes it off before asking what Laan and Una had planned for shore leave. Ortegas jokingly answers that they don't shore leave, they shore stay. Mbenga begins chuckling about the nickname, but backtracks when he sees both Ortegas and Chapel negatively shaking their heads, saying he didn't know what he was saying, and asks Chief Kyle to energize. Una pointedly asks about the nickname. But when the doctor hems and haws, Ortegas admits that the yeoman, often called Una, where fun goes to die. She tries to pass it off as a joke, saying if they knew any better, they wouldn't be yeoman. Una brusquely orders Kyle to energize. After he does so, she asks if he had heard this, and he suspiciously denies it. A glance at Lon only earns a shake of the head.
2: So is this, like, a reference that, like, you should have heard before? Or no?
1: No. You're kind of learning like right now. I I was
2: very kind of confused by it. And it's either, like, I wasn't paying attention or, like, I, I just didn't understand. Like, what is it? What are they talking about? Like, where the fun goes to die? Like, the transport room? Or, like, if, like, Una's involved? Like, I didn't understand.
0: They're saying that they're saying that Una herself is where fun goes to die.
2: Oh, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) Yeah, it's she's a person,
1: (laughs) right? Right, right.
2: Yeah, I don't know. There could have been a a better way of like wording that,
1: Mm. sure,
2: in my opinion. It just seemed like. Yeah, it just didn't make sense.
0: Too broad. I know what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So the A plot is Spock and Depreme, because that's yep. what they opened the show with. So that's A. B is the negotiations. C is uh Chapel, Ortegas, and Benga on shore leave. And then D plot is Una yeah. and Laan. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's like It was it was a thing where you don't need that many things going on. You already know that like La'an and Una to a small degree are very like by the book, stern, dry characters.
2: Yeah, so you don't really need to like overly express that point. I mean, you kind of got it.
0: I think her literally the joke of her saying they sure stay was a good enough joke to just let
2: that. That was fine. Yeah, that that was I thought was funny.
0: Okay, so Spock returns to his quarters, apologizing to to, to Pring about the unexpected start of the negotiations. While she does not doubt his duty's importance, she reminds him that they had agreed that this time would be for them and that she had set aside important work of her own so that they could meet. She believes that mutual sacrifice was crucial to a successful relationship, and Spock agrees it was indisputable. She worries that his Starfleet service makes him behave like a human and would make them incompatible. She tells him that perhaps he should prepare for his important work and brusquely leaves. Spock looks over to see the meal prepared and bows his head.
2: So, like, you're telling me, like, Vulcan is so perfect that, like, nothing ever comes up. Right. Like, Like, nothing unexpected ever comes up, where, like, you have to deal with something immediately.
0: You know what I think it is, what it boils down to? Because I was thinking the same thing. Like, why is this not, like, why is this such a big deal to her? Like, of course, things come up and then her, her person ends up, like, contacting her and she would have had to have left. And yeah. I think what it is, what it boils down to is the fact that she doesn't like the Federation. She doesn't like, yeah. she doesn't like the Federation. She doesn't like that Spock is involved with Starfleet.
2: Well, it's the same thing that you've seen since, like, enterprises. Like, they don't, they don't think that that's like a worthy, like, Vulcan place to like spend your, your time. Yeah. They don't, th- they don't view that as being like important for like Vulcan,
1: right? Yeah,
2: so, yeah. I mean, she's actually doing stuff for like Vulcan, and he's not really doing anything, right? No. So it's already this like thing of he's better suited somewhere else, right? Right. But like you said, too, it's funny because like she, you know, she gets all upset that like he like had something come up and didn't make dinner. And she says, Oh, well, I moved all my stuff around. But then like you see, like the next day, like her thing wasn't even planned till that right. day anyway. She had like three days on board before she even had anything right. scheduled <laughs> anyway. It was like, what? <laughs> of course yeah. you were free.
0: I also enjoyed whatever that Vulcan pyramid of like rice vegetables thing is <laughs> when he gets yeah, over. Right. I was like, "What's that?"
2: Uh, it's got no flavor on. It, I can tell you that.
0: Yep. In Starbase One's lounge, Chapel is meeting with Lieutenant Dever. She thinks they don't have to stay and talk, and go have fun. Dever, however, seems to have something on his mind, wondering where their relationship was going. He wonders if she should transfer to his ship, the USS Skylark, or if she—if he should transfer to the Enterprise. She suddenly sees Spock sitting in the lounge alone and says abruptly that she needs to check on her friend and would speak to Deborah later.
2: Yeah, don't, she likes Spock.
0: She likes the Spock. It's like a thing where I feel like it's heavy-handed. And yeah. It's a, narrator, but a, it's a
2: little, little bit. bit, yeah. It's one of those things where it's like very telegraphed you know
0: yeah back on the ship laon asks why una allows the whole nickname business to bother her una denies that it bothered her if anything she was more bothered by the fact that she never knew about it before she asks if laon did and not only did the security chief not know she didn't care either una is concerned that her not knowing makes her feel out of touch given that as a senior officer she wasn't exactly part of the crew. Lon corrects her by saying that it wasn't because she was a senior officer, but that she terrified people, meaning it as a compliment. Lon sees no issue with liking work and likes the quiet of the ship after the crew clears out for shore leave. Una admits she had been looking forward to redoing the duty roster, while Lon's choice of activity was checking the power supplies of the phasers in the armory suddenly the computer alerts lon to a security breach in airlock four lon acknowledges and asks who is on backup duty but una belays that saying that she would be lon's backup people are idiots an incredulous lon says you're fun una and lon reach the airlock phasers drawn Lon opens the airlock, and inside they discover two people—a human and a Bolian—wearing Starfleet environmental suits. They both raise their hands. The human pleading for them not to shoot. They were ensigns Christina and Zier, members of the crew.
2: It's funny because, like, I kind of go back and forth sometimes. It's like I, I, I do appreciate this because, like, I, I liked seeing that, like, this is their version of fun. Is like right working on the ship and making sure everything is like running efficiently and the quiet right yeah yeah and you know i kind of like that you know
0: yeah it's the thing where it's like of course there's people out there that that's what they like like well so what type of thing you know
2: yeah it's just that it's just that like constant like over the top of like lon like doesn't Mm. care doesn't care what people think
0: she's mean and tough and doesn't care
2: yeah it's you know it kind of pays off going forward when they play like good cop bad cop and it's kind of funny
1: yeah yeah yeah
2: (laughs) but it's just one of those things where it's just like she's just so like always like that and like no matter what the situation is and it's like i don't know i like lon a lot more when she's with una i think on her own she just comes across as this like hates everything doesn't like people doesn't want to be around anybody wants to be alone yeah, but like her and Una kind of play off each other pretty well. And yeah. I really like for that being like a D storyline in this episode. Yeah, I do really like them like the interrogation and then them doing you finding out about this bingo thing that they have no idea that goes on on the ship, and yeah, yeah yeah. it's it's fun, and it's like you kind of makes you like those two a little bit more. yeah, yeah. at least for me. Absolutely, I, kind yeah. yeah, me I kind of struggle. yeah we kind of struggle.
0: It's a back and forth with Lon, but I think overall, yeah. I think as time goes on, I think you'll you'll like her. I think you'll I like her more than you already <laughs> did. Yeah. All right. In the lounge, Chapel is seated across from Spock, saying that she considers him a highly intelligent person, but at the same time, she also felt he was an idiot. He <laughs> had told to Pring he would be home in time for dinner, and then he wasn't. He admits he found himself in an impossible circumstance. But as he continues to explain, Chappell gives him a slap upside the head, which she explains is designed to break old habits. She believes he could, he should have put Tupring over his duties as a relationship was mutual sacrifice, which is, she admits, why she tries to avoid them. Spock admits his worry that Tupring thinks him incompatible because he is half-human and explains the dream he had the previous evening about his, his human and Vulcan halves fighting each other. Being raised on Vulcan and among Vulcans, his human ancestry was often used to isolate him. He had found a bond with his pet Selah, Hichaya. Chapel had a similar pet in her childhood, a Malamute named Milo, who may or may not have bitten a girl who had called Chapel stupid. If his concern is that Tupring is critical because he is half-human, Chapel suggests that she, he show to Pring that he understands her as a Vulcan. Spock thanks her for her advice and offers the same if she needs it. What are friends for? Chapel replies. When Spock does not appear to understand the human phrase, she explains it was a rhetorical question. But Spock replies that he knows, noting that humans were just as easy to tease as Vulcans, earning a smile from Chapel. Cool.
2: That was funny. When she hits him, I like outwardly like laughed at that scene. Like that was super funny. <laughs> like so super like fun. I loved it. Yeah. Like, then him <laughs> being like
0: That is a human expression. I do not. Yeah. To play with.
2: <laughs> I do kind of like. Um, I like their interactions with each other. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good.
0: They 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 write these two characters pretty good.
2: Yeah, I like her anyway.
0: Yeah, she's she's fun, yeah. And uh, we get to hear about Spock's pet, I-chala. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah. Remember,
1: remember the, those, remember
0: the say a lot from uh, that, yeah, uh, episode where she's That's like, I used to one as the pet, he's like, Oh my god, these <laughs> an- I was just <laughs> gonna
2: ask you, like, yeah, you remember that like thing, yeah, that big like bear creature almost Free right
0: or tiger thing and he was just, yeah archer's like
2: you had the- archer's like, oh my <laughs> god kill it with fire and she's like oh yeah we, we we grew up with those as pets it's like oh my god <laughs> oh i get it because you're aliens <laughs> <laughs> oh that's not a human thing
0: <laughs> but i also too i think the, a great thing that happens in this scene too is at the end when Spock clearly, he lets her know that mm-hmm. he's also, he's being silly.
2: Yeah, I like that. How, uh, just shows how much more of a human he is, too, because he, mm-hmm. he comes home, he gets into an argument, and then he goes to the bar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. true.
0: He doesn't eat that cold, bland, pyramid rice dish. <laughs> he goes out. This is one
2: of those things where it's like, why is he there yeah. why is he on shore leave why is he at the bar on you know on on the station like why wouldn't he have just stayed on the ship he's so going to like the Chappell mess hall on the ship yeah it's true <laughs> i mean it's a plot it's a plot delay yeah yeah i also love too like how chapel's like oh yeah i'm kind of with this guy because it's like fun and there's no no attachment and then he immediately is like so like are you gonna to move to my ship or am I gonna to move to your ship? <laughs> I don't think, I don't think anybody's on the same page with you, Chaplain. Nope. No. You're either doing a really bad job, like conveying.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: it's true.
0: So now back in his quarters, Brock suggested a soul sharing with T'Pring. It is clear that he does not understand her as well as he should. In this way, he would be privy to her innermost thoughts, and she to his. He asks if she consents, and she agrees. They kneel on cushions on the floor across from one another, speaking the ritual words in Vulcan, one of their hands reaching to the other in the traditional Vulcan display of affection, the other palm to palm. As their palms meet, all of the candles in the room go out. However, both immediately realize something is wrong, as the praying seems... To call to herself and Spock likewise to himself. They look at their reflections in the viewports, looking to space, and realize they have switched bodies. To Pring in Spock's body asks if it can be reversed. Spock into Pring's replies he does not know. Alima. Yeah, it's like a, immediately like a Freaky Friday thing. And I was, like, I love when it. I first saw yeah. it. I was like, do this, I like ridiculous. this or
2: do I not like? It's just <laughs> so ridiculous that I hate it. Or is it so ridiculous that I really enjoy it?
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
2: It's one of those things where you could kind of see coming almost, you know,
0: a little bit. Right. Yeah.
2: And then what happens? You're like, yeah, of course, of course it happened. And then like, as soon as that happens, you're like, okay, well now she's going to go have to go. She's going to have to do the. Yeah. Yeah. The treaty and he's gonna have to go do the the prisoner thing and they're literally gonna do like each other's job for the day.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Which is fine. What a what a what a scary experience that would be too to like oh my gosh. share your mind with somebody like openly.
0: <laughs> and then just be like, now I'm in this person's body. i would be like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I need to go but sit just in- for a little bit. <laughs>
2: Just in general though, too. I mean, it's like like, oh yeah, let's like open our minds completely and you can see like everything in my head.
0: Pretty terrifying.
2: That'd be pretty awful, yeah.
1: Okay,
0: so we're at the midway point. So down in the comments below, <laughs> if you're a fan, let us know by writing I
2: Right, Kalima. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right, either one. Kalima or Chai Chaya. It doesn't matter. Kalima. We know that you're not writing in the comments, by the way. So,
2: <laughs> Yeah. What the heck?
0: <laughs> All right. Pike is dressed for shore leave. The negotiations apparently successful. When he is visited by April, the Admiral has bad news for him. The Rangovians are canceling further negotiations, saying that a connection wasn't made whatever that meant. Pike is honestly baffled by the revelation, m- remarking on how their meeting had gone. April agrees, saying if that was a bad di- diplomatic meeting, he wouldn't know what a good one would look like. Pike wants to get them back into a room to talk, but April stops him short, saying that the Rangovians didn't want to talk to him anymore. A confused pa- Pike asks who they did wish to speak to. The body swap Spock and T'Pring have been working for hours with various meditations and chants to reverse their change of bodies, but to no avail. Spock and T'Pring has one more chant to try, which would require a gong. Just then, the door chimes. As these were Spock's quarters, it would have to appear that Spock is answering it. T'Pring and Spock thinks that they will, will just go away eventually, but the best way for them to go away was for Spock to appear to answer it. Pring and Spock thinks it sounds like hijinks and dislikes the idea, which Spock and Pring co- concurs with, but in this case, hijinks would be the most logical course of action. Pring and Spock answers, revealing Captain Pike. He explains that the Rongovians only want to meet with Spock. While Pring and Spock attempts to deflect the idea, Pike is adamant that Spock is now the only person who can keep the Rongovians from allying with either the Klingons or the Romulans, or even both. Both realized they had to tell the truth and explained to Pike that they had switched bodies and had no idea how to reverse it. At first disbelieving, Pike clearly understands the problem, but his is equally bad. The Rongovians will not meet with anyone other than Spock, or at least someone who looks like him. Spock and T'Pring does not wish to put her through that, but T'Pring and Spock agrees to do it, pointing out that the purpose of their efforts was to understand one another, and this seemed an opportune way to do so. Meanwhile, Spock and T'Pring would remain behind to try and reverse the ritual. How Pike, their whole, like, we shouldn't answer the door, we should answer the door, and then Pike coming in and then mm-hmm. them telling him, and the whole like, calling him Chris, thing.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and then him just like trying to, I'm telling him, and he starts to laugh, and then he's like, "Wait a minute!" He kind of like a said realization where he's like, "Wait, Vulcans don't do practical jokes like this. Like this isn't." Mm-hmm. I it was I that whole sequence was really it's funny.
2: super fun. It's really great. It's like they all play that scene so well. Yeah, and I was laughing too because like. I don't know if it's just because like you the audience saw what happened, but like you can clearly tell that there's like something going on, like they're different. Yeah. And then Pike and then Spock is like, I'm sure Captain, you can tell the difference between the two of us. And he's like, um, yeah, totally. Yeah, I totally see the difference.
1: <laughs>
2: there's and really I mean, no difference. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's basically that Supreme has her hands behind her, her back, and Spock is like
2: yeah, has, like, twiddling uh, his tongue. Yeah. His, yeah, and calling him Chris, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems so good. But you, but so here's what here's what I like about this is that in any other show, sometimes it seems like this something stupid like this would happen, oh, and then they would totally keep it like to themselves.
1: Yes, yes, yes. yes but yes.
2: they like immediately like just said like, well, "Uh, we should probably just tell them what's going on," and then like told Pike what's happening, and then it was right. like, okay. Now there's yeah. like three people in the know, you know.
0: I think it's one of those things that like the writers know knew enough to be like, if you're if you're gonna have a body switch of Vulcans, and then the option comes to tell people, that's the most logical thing to do is be like, yeah. hey, we're in trouble and we need help, <laughs> rather than try to like save face or you know whatever.
2: Yeah, that's a human. That would be that's a like human a reaction to bullshit. like, yeah, right. Be embarrassed and not, you know, right. <laughs> and they actually need like medicine to like fix it.
0: Right, 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 right. Meanwhile, Una and Laan arrive to interview the two ensigns they caught in the airlock. Laan quickly calls Badcock, which, much to Una's chagrin, Laan smugly replies that she had to be quicker. Laan is seated across from Christina, asking if she knew what kind of trouble she was in. When Christina says she doesn't, Laan threateningly tells her to start talking, or the next time she did would be at her court martial. Meanwhile, Una is all smiles and understanding with Zier, saying she had been an ensign too once, and it was all right to be nervous. Zier says she didn't want to get into trouble, and Una assures her she wouldn't be, asking if she wanted coffee. Both ensigns admit, Christina crying, Zimir laughing, that they were playing Enterprise Bingo, and were about to reach the last square, sign the Scorch. When they were caught in the airlock. Afterwards, both ensigns are seated before Una and Lan. Una has heard their explanations but admonishes them for acting in an irresponsible manner. She is forced to revoke their shore leave and assigns them to micro clean the transporter pads under the supervision of Chief Kyle, much to the horror of both ensigns, who considered the transporter's chief mean. After dismissing them, Una looks to Lon. And asks incredulously, what the heck is Enterprise Bingo? Lan has no better idea than she does.
2: Yeah, because it's fun.
0: <laughs> it's fun. It's enjoyment. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's it's funny that the way that Una plays off that scene as good cop is like perfect. Yes,
0: yes. Oh and my if gosh. they
2: if they didn't do that scene before where like she beats her to saying bad cop. Like, yeah. I would never even assume that she would have like wanted to be like the bad, the bad, <laughs> the bad right. cop.
0: And I also like the fact that Laan saying bad cop and then saying things like court martial and the other ensigns crying <laughs> yeah. is also showing yeah. that like Laan is really like lay, laying down. Yeah. Like, she also yeah. doesn't really want, she's not trying to be a jerk. She just likes being the bad, the bad cop
2: yeah yeah that's I. that's totally fine yeah
0: it was a the good way of editing like the two of them like <laughs> cutting back and yeah the like, back and
2: forth and then they're all in the room and they're just like yeah so no shore leave and you're gonna go scrub filters with <laughs> yeah like, oh. even though shore leave is almost over anyway yeah right right <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's right. Meanwhile, Spock and Tapring receives the message. It is Katil who explains that the rendezvous with Barjan Toor had has had an unexpected development. Barjan is refusing to meet with Katil and only wishes to meet with Tapring. Spock and Tapring tries to avoid it, but as Pike had been about the Rangovians, Katil is adamant only Tapring can accomplish their mission. It's funny immediately, right? Like immediately, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh well. Now you also, you also have to do her job. I was like, yeah. When I originally saw it, I was like, oh boy, here we go. (laughs) Just like I didn't hate it, but I was just like, yeah, of course.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's very much like, okay, you're both gonna do each other's jobs, and and like actually, you know, the old expression, like walk a mile in my shoes. Like you're literally gonna do it. Okay, got it.
0: Alone in the in the crew lounge, Una and La'an discovered the origins of Enterprise Bingo, almost exclusively played by the ensigns and the enlisted crewmen. In order to achieve bingo, they must complete a series of tasks. La'an shows Una the list, which includes items such as setting the universal translator to the Andorian language, sitting in the captain's chair, and lastly, sign the Scorch. Lon found the list in Zier's quarter during a routine inspection. Una thinks that if this is what passes for Fun, she is happy to be Fun's funeral. Lon confesses she doesn't understand it. So Lon suggests maybe they try to understand it to get a better understanding of the crew. So the cool thing is, is I they have a picture here of what the Enterprise bingo is and I was like mm. alright. So it's Use transporter to reflavor gum. Phaser stun yeah. duel. Yeah. Turbo lift two floor shout challenge, which we saw.
2: I liked that. That was pretty funny.
0: Yeah. Set the universal translator to Andorian. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, gravity boot hand challenge.
1: Mm-hmm. Medical
0: tricorder challenge. Vulcan marsupial uh, food replicator challenge durian fruit uh, oh. s- sneak a triple into the transporter buffer
2: oh my god that's funny
0: sit in the captain's chair
2: mm-hmm.
0: Our, our uh, must be EV suit challenge unsanctioned spacewalk and then last sign the torch
2: wouldn't those last two be the same like when you yes. knock both of those off, Yeah. Because you're going on an unsan- unsanctioned spacewalk and then you're signing the Scorch. Yeah. Yeah. I also like that there's a section of the ship that's just never been repaired, no matter how many times they dock at the space yeah.
0: base. Like the pe- the guys who are at the base must see it and see all those names, and then they're like, oh, okay, and then they don't respace yeah. it.
2: <laughs> no, I don't repair that.
0: They begin with the first item on the list using the transporter to reflavor chewing gum. In sickbay, Lon chews her gum until the flavor is gone and Una activates the transporter. When Lon beams it back in, the spearmint flavor is back in her gum. Next is the turbo lift to deck shout challenge where they call out their deck at the same time. Lon calls to the bridge and Una to engineering. The turbo lift hears engineering. Next is the phaser stun duel. They set their phasers to the lowest setting, but as they raise their weapons to aim and fire, Una suddenly says to wait, but Lan fires, hitting Una in the shoulder. A somewhat uh, stricken-looking Lan asks if they were having fun yet.
2: I don't know the science behind bringing the flavor back in the transporter, but as we've seen, the transporter can do amazing things in this new timeline.
0: Yeah. It must it must like take
1: the the gum and like
2: reforms like, the molecules and the dump them, yeah, that's fine. I would yeah. be afraid to even have gum in my mouth on a transport. <laughs> you come through and you're some weird bubble man
0: <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> or just the, the terrible thing is like. You don't realize that the gum's not in your mouth anymore because you're on a new planet and you're taking it in and then you go to take a step forward and you're just like this. Like your whole body is like a gum. Your, your knee just goes.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: oh! That would be a fun Star Trek episode right there. That would be... Yeah. I'm going to have to go and rewrite one of my uh, Star Trek adventure it's... thing and make one of you guys turn into the gum man.
2: It's Lieutenant Spearmint. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: the um the Phaser duel was fun too. It seemed like um Yeah. They weren't really invested in it though. No.
0: I miss, see, the thing you're gonna is is uh, you remember from Enterprise. The thing I miss is the is the long is the long beam. Mm. Those like little darts. Quick like blast shots. I, I don't I just don't like them.
2: Yeah. Um, it's like a little circle that goes.
1: Doo, doo, doo.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's fine. I get it. It's supposed to be cool and neat, but I, I just am a fan of the long stream like beam that comes out of the weapons.
2: Yeah. Yeah, explain that for your timeline theory. Why enterprise had long beams, discovery and Stranger World doesn't, but the original series does. Uh, explain that one.
1: <laughs> they um, modified it <laughs> when
0: they met the Borg in the Enterprise episode. That they uh, they uh, upped their means of technology.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely.
0: Definitely. Chapel and Ortegas are walking through one of the biospheres where the navigator asks about Chapel Endeavor. Chapel did not tell him about her feelings, worried he would want to get serious, and he had tried to read her some poetry, which she judges as oddly not terrible. They suddenly spot to who Ortegas notes looks upset. Chapel admits that she had tried to give Spock some relationship advice. Ortegas warns about getting into the middle of a Vulcan relationship as they would hit her with a Lerpa. Ortegas has actual scars from the Vulcan weapon to prove her point. bring approaches and asks to speak with Chample alone. A moment later, seated alone under a tree, Chample is told what happened, and she can't help but laugh. She did not think Spock would have taken her advice that far. Spock and Topring confesses that he had not taken the time to consider the feeling of being inside his fiance's body and notes it was different. He is now concerned that he may endanger Topring's career, just as Topring in his body is working to save his and wonders if there was a medical solution. Chapel thinks there may be, but it would take time. Meanwhile, Spock now had a relationship opportunity. Spock and T'Pring asks if that meant he should attempt to do T'Pring's job, and Chapel points out that T'Pring was doing his, so why not help her out and use some of that Vulcan logic as she values? Spock and T'Pring sees this as coming dangerously close to hijinks. Hey, who doesn't love hijinks? Chapel replies cheerfully. It was nice that he went
1: and, like, basically just Went to her and was like, "Please help me." <laughs>
2: yeah, I love that to like where she walks over to her and it's like she's like, "Oh no, like Spock did something or took my advice wrong and now I'm in trouble." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the next scene is just her like laughing at him. I love, I love that.
0: Back aboard the ship, Una and Lon admit they were not feeling the alert that the rest of the crew did. But Una insists on finishing the list. While it had been Laan's idea, she wondered how much more insight into the crew they needed. Una asks what the point of Enterprise Bingo was. Laan thinks it was a way to blow off steam, but Una believes it was meant as a way to break the rules. So that was the thing that I liked, was they were able to do almost everything like immediately, and it was because they had yeah. access to stuff and all those things, and it was like, yeah they weren't experiencing anything because they just were they weren't breaking the rules. They weren't doing <laughs> things that they shouldn't. They were just yeah, like, finding workarounds and getting it done quick,
2: especially especially like sitting in the captain's chair,
0: right like who who cares? like
2: like, if... like for an for like a an ensign that would be like one of the harder things on the list, probably.
0: Right, right, right. Exactly.
2: But they can literally just go up to the bridge and sit in the captain's chair. <laughs> <Doesn't> right, <matter.
1: laughs>
0: right. Negotiations with the Rongovians do not seem to be going well, as to Pring and Spock points out the Vulcan history of cultural domination, which Vaso dismisses as an inadequate reason to side with the Federation. Noting the formal, somewhat mechanical nature of his of the discussions, Pike, watching from the sidelines, wonders if the Rongovians have suddenly gone vulcany. April shushes him, as they were supposed to just be observers. To and Spock asks asks about the logic of aligning with a culture whose central purpose was subjugating their other cultures to its own. To which Vaso retorts by asking about the logic of aligning with the Federation, whose interdependence dilutes the cultures that comprise it. Pike looks like he wants to intervene, but April assures him Spock can handle it. As a Vulcan, pring and Spock sympathizes with the Rangovians' fears that they would lose their culture to homogenization in a multilateral alliance like the Federation, and sometimes wishes to return to Vulcan rather than focus on Starfleet. Despite April's protests, Pike raises to speak, saying that he was not speaking on behalf of the Federation, but rather on behalf of Spock. Vaso elects to allow it. Pike calls Spock's decision to serve in Starfleet a notable sacrifice, spending so much time away from his home and culture. He compliments Spock's commitment to the Federation and to understanding the values and plights of wildly different cultures, even at great personal cost. Pike also finds his striving for intellectual intelligence and his commitment to the spirit of duty inspirational. To answer Vassar's question about why they should ally with the Federation Pike tells him to simply look across the table and that he considered Spock to be everything that was great about Starfleet. He apologizes for interrupting before quietly saying to T'Pring and Spock that he should never have put her in this position. Before leaving Vaso expresses his admiration for Pike defending a member of his crew and he elects to conclude the meeting there. will offer a summation before returning to Rangovia. As April looks over at Pike, the captain is forced to shrug. He has no idea where it will go from there either.
2: Yeah, I like that scene a lot.
0: It's a really, really good scene. It's like not only really helps you to understand like T'Pring's point of view,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but like also um, it forces again, it forces the writers to explain why the federation is better than anything else in, in the galaxy. Yeah. not even like negative, but still, it's like, they're still forced to explain it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And Pike's pep talk basically like he's now it's like, he has to explain it to like three people in the room, like why the federation is yeah. great.
1: Yeah.
2: you know, like why Spock is such an, in you know, a great part of, enterprise like like he's kind of he's kind of the reason that like the federation exists in the first place is this human and vulcan was like the first yeah you know group to get get along
1: that's right yeah i like
2: that and it's also explains like to her like why spock is important and how his job is actually like very like important more than yeah, she yeah. thinks it is.
1: Absolutely.
0: While most of the crew are enjoying themselves on leave, Spock and Tapring elects to bring Chapel along for the meeting with Barjan, who is seated at a three dimensional chess table. Barjan emphasizes he oh, okay. only wished to meet with Tapring alone, but given that he was Vitash Katur. Spock to Pring did not think he would object to a human bringing being along. Barjan wonders how El Keshtankil can employ humans in the service of, of logic, finding Pring curious among Vulcans for her tolerance of these creatures. Spock to Pring explains that Pring's sympathy for those without logic was why she was there, and given her his position, she would have expected him to be open-minded. Barjan and Counters that while it was one thing to find strength in emotion, it was another to marry a half-human, knowing that she was betrothed to the son of Sarek, noting how she defended Vulcan ideals on the one hand and insulted them with the other. As the son of Sarek was the one into Pring's body, her responses become increasingly heated, as do Chapels, who remarks that she thinks Spock twice the Vulcan he is, Bargen dismisses the human assessment. Attempting to stay in character, Spock and Dupring asks what circumstances would warrant bringing him in for rehabilitation. Bargen says at that point, there are none. He had come fully prepared to engage in rehabilitation, but seeing the company his captor keeps, he has changed his mind. Spock and Dupring suddenly knocks him out with one punch. Then remarks to Chapel that perhaps they should keep that part of how they capture Bargin under wraps. As Spock considers the response a tattoo human, Chapel thinks it just the right amount.
2: So it was really cool to see like three-dimensional chest. Yeah, yeah. Because that's something I I do remember from like the original series. Yeah. And like you don't really see it.
1: No, not too much. No. Mm -mm.
2: So that was kind of cool. Yeah,
0: they introduced some things in here that are kind of like things that you, they don't talk a lot about in Star Trek. So it's kind of nice. It's like a callback. It's like a it's a callback, but it's also like a watching it this way. It's like a oh, they talk about this thing before you see something significant. Yeah, talking to him as a Vatosh Kutur. It's like a it's a thing that they get into later.
2: Yeah, I like that. I like uh, honestly, I like him. Uh, I like Spock knocking him out. And that's pretty good.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, she does a really good job. The Gia here, who plays Spine, yeah. Spock, that that scene where he says that he is that he knows that she is betrothed to the son of Sarek, and he's like, "What of it?" Mm-hmm. But it's her. You know, it's take her saying, "Yeah." Her acting in that, like, moment was, like, really, really, really good.
1: Yeah, like, it was. You
0: could tell, like, how angry.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: And that's the thing I think about is, like, when a Vulcan gets mad and it's yeah. it's to the level where you can tell, <laughs> it's like, uh-oh. <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
0: This person's at a point where they're going to hurt somebody.
2: Yeah. Yeah, right. And, you know, what's funny, too, is, like, that that guy brings up some interesting points too
0: certainly does
2: (laughs) you know she's on this campaign about you know like volcanism and she's marrying a a halfie you know (laughs) yeah it's like yeah makes a good point
0: it's a it's a one of those weird episodes that it's you know you know those, those happen in shows and movies and stuff where it's like something really goofy is happening but then the writing is like super tight and it's like yeah it's like man it's so funny that they they bring up all these like really like really uh pondering questions but it's like it's like freaky friday where there's yeah. really like it's so funny to me that they maybe that's what they thought maybe they were like hey let's how do we pose these two different thoughts of she's trying to bring people who have left vulcan ways back but yet she's she's engaged to a half human Vulcan. And then you have the whole juxtaposition of like, is it, should you join Mm -hmm. the Federation? Like what's, who cares? Like what's the difference? And they're like, it's both of those topics are too serious. So therefore we'll make a silly thing happening.
2: It's one of those things too, where it's like they, it would be a lot easier not to address those things. Like, just make them a thing that, like, the audience is like, yeah, but why would that be? And they're like, "Eh, it doesn't matter. Right. (laughs) Like, just don't talk about it. Yeah. it's okay.
0: (laughs) Afterwards, Spock and Jepring are in sickbay where Mbenga is administering a salve of some sort onto Spock's forehead. He remarks that all the time he spent studying medicine in Vulcan, he never had to deal with a Kotrick transfer, calling it exceedingly rare. Chapel is monitoring their glucose levels as well as their cortical functions. Tupring and Spock asks what, what the noxious paste in Benga is applying. It was ground-up and sea urchin, nutrient-rich and water-resistant, as well as being a good match for Vulcan skin, electromagnetically speaking. Chapel notes he has been eager to try it out, and the doctor thinks it will become a federation standard. Cortical stimulation will mimic the original brain patterns of the host body, making it uncomfortable for any visitors. Or as Chapel puts it, we zap you, you switch back. Mbenga adds theoretically, saying that the contra bridges the gap between medicine and the mind, so it was not cut and dry. Emotion also played a part, which is probably what caused the transfer in the pr- first place. Champl mm. nervously asks Benga if they were going to get nerve pinched for this, and the doctor laughingly says they probably will. Both Spock and Tapring begin screaming after the cortical stimulation begins.
2: <laughs> yeah, like I really like that.
0: It was I was it was really sudden because I forgot it. I remember this is what happened, but then that scene happened, and I was like, "Oh wow, yeah, yeah."
1: That's
0: right. They're like. Huh?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. guess it, it kind of harpens back to like that. Uh, I love that in I think it was the first episode where Fox' oh, yes. disguise is wearing off. And yeah, he's it like is. it's becoming quite quite painful. And then like five minutes later, he's like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's
2: he's screaming as his ears like come back. Oh man, it's like, so oh, good. That's better. Oh man, that's that's better. <laughs> it was <just> like <laughs> it was so good. So I yeah. love this, like, they're both screaming about it. Did you, uh,
0: did you also think, too, when he was putting that, like, brown paste on their head and then stuck crystals in their head, I was like,
2: this is so
0: 1960s. It like, is, yeah. Like, paint this stuff out and then put these things yeah. out and they change color. And it's like, yeah, we're yeah. just doing this
2: simple. It's 100% what in the 60s they would believe would be, like, future medicine.
0: Yeah, 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 Exactly. I I at first when I first saw it I was like, what is he doing? And then I was like, oh yeah. oh oh yeah, like I get it.
2: Yeah, and it's not even like it's like um, like this weird stuff. It's like oh, this is just ground up sea urchins. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh okay, and then those crystals start glowing. Yeah. Before he zaps them, yeah, that's great.
0: Sometime later, Spock is conscious and back in his own body again. When he calls her nurse Chapel, she tells him he can call her Christine. He does and thanks her again for the help. For her help, Chapel thinks it no big deal, but for Spock, it was very big indeed. She suggests he try to be more careful with what he could, and could not offer from then on. And he assures her not to worry, as Vulcans could not lie—at least not like humans could. She clarifies that. He should be honest with himself. He is left to ponder this as she leaves. In his quarters, Spock admits that to Pring he fears that she did not see him as being Vulcan enough for her, that he was more concerned about his duty to Starfleet than his culture or his betrothed. He confesses his feelings about Vulcan were not easy, as he had not as he had been forced to prove his Vulcanness, and any deviation was seen as proof. He did not belong. Whereas in Starfleet, he was accepted for who he was half Vulcan, half human. I am quite simply Spock, he concludes. To understands how much he values duty, and her fear was that he saw their relationship as just that a duty rather than something more. We must both want to be here, she says. And Spock replies that he does, as does To praying. They seal their commitment with a kiss. So it was a nice... I I liked the scene of them two in the room and him like basically the thing that he should have done from the beginning, which was like talk
2: about... Yeah. Like, his well, they both... And yeah, they both should have. They both should have yeah. like outwardly expressed like their fears.
0: Maybe that wasn't a logical thing to do.
2: <laughs> no. Logical thing is to keep it to yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bury it. Bury it.
0: In the conference room on Starbase One, Ahura asks if Pike knew what he was going to say to the Rongovians, and April adds that he hopes so. Pike jokingly asks where the drama was in that as the Rongovians enter. Vaso begins by asking Pike why they should choose to ally with the Federation. To the surprise of both Vaso and April, Pike replies that they shouldn't as they shouldn't risk making the Federation's enemies into their enemies as well. They were only a few years out from the Klingon War, and the Romulans were out there biding their time. Who knows what species will tick off next? He asks, adding that they weren't really coming to them with any great respect for Rangovian culture, as they knew barely anything about it. He admits the Federation was only interested in the Rangovians for their territory and asks what the Rongovians would gain in return. Hypothetical trade markets, scientific advancement, support in the event of a crisis that would likely only come because they had cast their lot with the Federation? While it was true the Federation had a lot to offer, Pike knows it comes with a price, and the Rongovians are right to suspect that price would be higher than they could pay. Vasso brusquely thanks him, and he and Brax leave. April asks Pike what he was doing, and Pike answers he is playing the hunch. The Admiral is incredulous that Pike is risking an important an important strategic alliance over a hunch, but Pike points out that the Rangovians had been rude to the Tellarites, reasonable with them, and deeply logical when talking with the Balkans. O'Hara asks if Pike thought they were simply copying who they came in contact with, And the captain confirms he had it first, but wonders if it was all a diplomatic technique. They responded positively when he spoke up for Spock, even though it violated their specific request that he not be involved. He thinks they were looking for someone to take their point of view, radical empathy, as he puts it. They admire others' capacity to see things their way. They look out to see the solar sail on the Rongovian flagship open up. And they are flying the flag of the Federation. The alliance is made. Yeah. And so, this scene, to me, it's another one of those great, like, speeches that you talk about that they give Pike. hmm And he just kind of goes, and it. I... As much as he's talking negatively and being like very real and tearing down like the absolute core of the federation of what happens when they have like admission yeah. into their into their governance. Yep, <laughs> it's also like a really cool thing that he he plays to what how they are as a culture, like what what they enjoy. Yeah.
2: So it's one of those things to me where it's like, I love Pike. I love the character of Pike. Mm-hmm. But um if you didn't like Pike for some reason, I could see how you would always be annoyed that like he's always the smartest person in the room. Mm, I see. You know what I mean? Like to play devil's advocate. It's like you have all these Federation people and you have that that Admiral guy. And it's like Pike's the one that inherently like learns about this species and deciphers it by the when he needs to yeah, yeah, yeah and he does that he does that a lot and I think that just sure. comes down to him being a good good captain he's a yeah quick study you know yeah and that's I like that of,
0: that's kind of the thing that they do in Star Trek a lot is like captain characters like characters who are ranked captain are always like quick thinkers and they're on their feet and they're always like yeah Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But once a character shifts to being an admiral, they're not, like, stupid. They just are more out of touch.
2: Yeah. Well, they're not experiencing stuff all the time. They're they're on a base or they're on a ship. Right.
0: So it's like, back in the day, you would imagine that cap- that Robert April as a captain was probably a pretty slick guy. But yeah. Now that he's constantly in meetings and he's like, you're saying he's on the base and he's just he's doing a lot more, like, diplomatic and uh, like paperwork stuff bureaucratic yeah. that was the word i was trying to think of like bureaucratic stuff yes exactly he's out of touch he's not having to use that that brain muscle as much as pike is where you gotta like yep. you gotta be able to be everything all at once you know out you're the you're the flagship of the federation so
2: yeah it's true
0: but the but it's cool because that's kind of what they do even with characters that you like they eventually become admirals in the Star Trek timeline, like different characters do, and they just are mm. like they're different. They're just different people, and it's it's mm. a cool beat that they kind of touch on a lot. They don't ever come out and say that. It's just it's just obvious, kind of a that's like cool. They do. That ship opening up with its thing and the flag and all that—that that was pretty.
1: That was pretty cool.
2: Mm-hmm. So, I like how that. Yeah, I did out. like that. Yeah, I don't know who gave him the flag on the way out, but. Sorry. <laughs>
0: You there, sir! Before we board, give us the flag, okay? There you go. It needs to be three thousand feet long.
2: (laughs) Like, all right, burn that Klingon flag that we got and hoist. That
1: would have been
0: hilarious if they gotten the thing and then it was (laughs) the Klingon flag, and it's like they're like Captain, their
1: their army weapons, like they're shooting the (laughs) starship.
2: Yeah, it just ends with bikes and shields up.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, walking outside on the hull without environmental suits, Una and Lan have reached the end of their Enterprise bingo. Lan worriedly asks Una if she had was 100% sure the force field will hold. Una taps the edge of the force field and jokes that she was 99% sure at least. They reach the scorch the oldest unreplaced piece of the Enterprise hull, where it was said to be good luck to sign it. La'an and Una affixed their signatures to the Scorch before looking up in awe to see the Rongovian flagship flying overhead, sails deployed, and flying the flag of the Federation. The thing I was thinking about when this scene happens is the force field thing is fine. I don't, whatever It was weird, but it, it's fine. Yeah, what I, I was thinking is if this is the oldest unreplaced piece that Robert April is was the original captain of this ship. So it's mm-hmm. like I I'd have to go back and look, but I wondered if they had like his name on it or anything like that. Like
2: Yeah, I didn't recognize anybody's like signature. Yeah. So Yeah, the force field thing was kind of weird. I think it's just a choice, the choice that because like you don't want those two characters in like full. suits to like see their expression
0: yeah i think it was also supposed to show that they like doing an unsanctioned spacewalk wasn't really like again wasn't really breaking the rules because she's a security officer and she's the first officer so it's like eh, you're not really unsanctioned to to not do that so to literally walk outside with a force field over them with no Like That's why she's like, this has to have broken something, right? And they're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's some sort of rule you're breaking here. So, I think that was the point. I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They can just convert the shield however they want because they have access to all that stuff.
0: Right. Yeah. Like, it's much more foolhardy to just walk on the hull with, like,
1: force fields rather than in, like, an actual EV suit. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, too. Okay,
0: so here's the last, here's the last bet, lying in bed in Spock's quarters, to Pring remarks that she enjoyed being Mr. Spock for a day, while Spock admits, in the spirit of total honesty, that he punched Bargin well into Pring's body. She concedes that having met Bargin, that was logical. As they settle in, the Rongovian flagship flies by in view of the ship. And of the lounge on Starbase One, where Ortegas is sitting with Chapel. Ortegas asks about Dever, and Chapel admits she told him how boring he was. Ortega suggests she tried being so honest next time she was in a relationship. Chapel worries that this would mean the relationship would be serious, to which Ortegas wonders why that would be a problem. Chapel seems to have something on her mind, but says only it would have to be the
1: right guy Mm -hmm.
0: and that concludes our episode
1: so this part
0: right here it's not like it was bad and it's totally fine but this is when i talked about like the last few minutes that this is like the only thing i felt like it dragged in the episode is literally the two of them talking in bed the weird music playing as you watched the the thing fly and then cutting back to the lounge (laughs) and then them two talking about it and it was just like yeah it felt like it you could have ended with the flag being deployed and then going off like
2: yeah you don't need that
0: you don't need all this extra stuff because it's already said it's like clearly to bring in Spock made amends yeah and you already saw the flagship and Ortegas and Chapel about Dever stuff like it seemed already long played out
2: it's just another it's just another unneeded to see like chapel is interested in spock like it true, it's yeah, just true. another scene that shows like that she's waiting for the yeah. right person it's like we already know that we, we don't need to see it again
0: <laughs> and again
2: yeah
0: now we'll do the part where we hurt caleb's head Hello. Who gets the Elizabeth Cutler Award for being most forgettable?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Don't do it.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be Kirk. Maybe. It's, be <laughs> it's almost like the writers forgot that he's even a thing at this point.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Very much so.
2: Does he come back this season at all or is he just uh Oh
0: yeah, yeah, he comes back. I mean also Hammer. Hammer wasn't in this episode
2: either. Yeah, Hammer wasn't this episode. But yeah, but that but that's fine because this this episode doesn't have anything to do with engineering. Sure, um, but you
0: could have showed like all of Hammer these and Kirk like off doing something. I don't know. Like you could have. Like,
2: yeah, well, yeah, Hemmer could have went on um, shore leave too. But uh, but the thing about Kirk's character specifically is that he is in he is in charge of like knowing alien species and learning alien species, and all these episodes where he's not in is like very much like new alien species yeah yeah yeah, yeah. this is now the second episode where they're like oh there's this species we need to like have a conference with and we don't know anything about them and kirk is like nowhere to be seen
1: <laughs> very true.
2: is he still recovering from like the egg is this is that what they're
0: <laughs> maybe maybe that's what's happening i really don't know who gets the
1: trip tucker award as being the mvp
2: Um, I feel like I always pick Pike just because, like, his speeches are so good, and he's the one that kind of like fixes whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like Spock in this episode.
1: Okay, so
0: I'll give
2: it to I'll give it to Spock. You
0: give it to Spock or Spock in in <laughs>
2: Well, both.
0: Okay, who what gets the Shran award as the best action sequence?
2: The opening scene with the 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 battle on Vulcan. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much. Not only is that the only
0: <laughs> Yeah, other than the guy getting punched and them shooting each other, there's not really much more in the
2: Yeah. But that was great and when it when it started, when they started playing that original like score. Yeah. I was like, oh, "Okay, this is this is pretty sweet."
0: Yeah. Okay, so what gets the NX award as Get that was some sweet ship stuff.
2: Probably the ship, the sail ship the is sail probably ship. the best. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's pretty, uh, honestly, like the scene where they're on the hull, oh, and, and it's it going flies over, over them. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool I show. like that. Yeah, all yeah. copper.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah, I like. It's it cool lot. to
2: see like an actual, like almost kind of like a water type vessel, like in yeah. space, like that, with, like sails. Yeah. That's cool.
0: All right. What gets the Porthos Award as being the cheesiest?
2: The transporter scene where they say that uh Una is where fun goes to die. That's probably the cheesiest.
0: Okay, yeah. All right. Like
2: that's probably the scene I didn't I didn't get it and I didn't I don't understand it still. So it's like it just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, definitely. And it's pretty cheesy, you know. Yeah. Like they had to, they had to like say that, like, oh yeah, she's, she's like all business, right? It's like, yeah, we we we've seen, we we, don't need we've like seen. Next- yeah, <laughs> you could explain that, like the the crew and ensigns like find her to be like overbearing in other ways without, sure, blatantly saying like, oh yeah, her entire personality. Sure, that's where fun dies. <laughs> 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 oh wow, it's a little on the nose, you know
0: yeah 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 like we said i think i think just leaving it alone as they like the shore stay was was sure stay is good was like more than enough to explain like <laughs> ah yes
2: <laughs> i like that yeah i like the shore stay
0: so what gets the enterprise award as being the best scene
2: pike's speech at the end
0: okay yeah where he's talking to him yeah
2: yeah and he basically tells him like yeah you don't want to join the federation it's it's really bad honestly like romans and klingons are gonna like the- attack us anytime and yeah, yeah and then they fly away with the
1: federation yeah. yeah yeah
0: it is easily the best best scene
2: i'm afraid your enemy klingons Oh, really my enemy <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: to me it was uh it was a either for me it's either that scene or the scene when um pike comes in and they explain to pike what happened yeah but i think that's more of like a funny scene rather than like the actual best scene
2: yeah I no had, i we, like that scene
0: too. we didn't talk about or i didn't get to a, i forgot to ask you earlier on like what did you think of uh, pike's like variant uniform did you like it
2: oh the green one yeah it's sweet
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah,
2: I forgot all about that. What? So what? What is that about? Like, what does he just it's wear just that like when a, they're on base?
0: It's just like a different. It's a different. I think it's like supposed to be like a. Um. There's probably some Star Trek lore that I could look into explain it, but I think it's just like a variant shirt for for the mm. captain.
2: Does Kirk ever wear green? Don't I? Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's where they're getting it from—is from the original series.
2: Yeah, I kind of swear I remember seeing Kirk wearing green.
0: Yeah, there's a couple up. There's a couple episodes and scenes where he wears pretty much. It doesn't look exactly like that because this is more modern, but basically the same thing.
2: It's almost like he wears that because, like, they're aboard the space station. He's not like actually on duty, but he's kind of on duty. Yeah, so it's I'd like he to... doesn't need to wear the yellow because he's not like commanding the ship at the moment. He's yeah, just maybe that's kinda...
0: that's a good point. I'd have to go back to I'd have to go and look into it. Like what what was the reasoning for it and like why? But
2: I like it. Yeah, I, I really liked it, especially like the belt that comes down. It's got like the delta is like the buckle on the sh- yeah. on the shirt. It's really cool.
0: I like the thing that makes it funny is like when Kirk wears it, it just looks like he's wearing like a. Like,
2: it's like a, a green diff- sweater, <laughs>
0: like a different green sweater kind of pajama thing. But and then this, it made it look more like a, de- like you're saying, like a deliberate choice. Yeah. Like, oh, well, when I'm doing this thing, I wear my green tunic type
2: of thing. Yeah. 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 It's cool.
0: When I saw the episode, I was like, oh, dude, cool. Cause it's like, you don't really, they never really show the green tunics like that. Yeah.
2: It's funny cause you know me, I'm all about the enterprise like uniform. Yeah. I'm really starting to like enjoy these. Like uniforms like the tunic and the pants. Yeah. There's the a, tunics are always pretty good.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a thing about it that just I think it's just nostalgia. Even if somebody it's like classic me, yeah. watching it, yeah, it's a classic feel and it just it, it's Star Trek. There's nothing there's no it's undeniable, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you see an original stormtrooper, it's like oh my god. It's yeah. just like as much as the clone trooper helmets are cool and all that, it's just like it just screams Star Wars. You immediately yeah.
2: like, well yeah and honestly the original stormtrooper and clone troopers like are so much better like they like those the the first order helmets and suits like they don't they don't yeah, do anything don't for, me. for me right now yeah, it's like they're just a wide it's a wide chin like you come out and they're like they look huge on like whoever wears it yeah it's just, yeah it's i don't true. like the shape of it
0: Okay, so write in the comments what you thought about this week's episode. Let us know if you thought to bring in Spock switching bodies was good, was not good, was it funny? Um, Let us know what you think of uh, Caleb's award. You know, (laughs) was there somebody that you thought should have gotten the MVP different than? So
2: things like that. Yeah, tell
0: me down below what you thought.
2: Tell me how wrong I am.
0: Yeah, tell us how wrong and stupid we are. Yeah.
2: (laughs) <laughs> and then let us know what uh color shirt you want Pike to wear next week.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of next week, we will get into episode six of Strange New Worlds with the episode entitled Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach.
2: Starting to get into these long titles, these long yep, uh, starting to get into experience. <laughs>
1: long,
0: long, long titles.
2: Bring us to the heavens where <laughs> the suffering does not begin to fall
1: <laughs> on the earth. so
0: that's us this week so as always like if you like, dislike if you dislike subscribe so you keep up with our content and ring the bell for notifications so you don't miss it my last week's video uh, got copyright claimed by putting Mm. in so many videos audio videos which I think the music is what got more claimed than the talking it didn't do so well as it normally did so probably should ring those ring that bell for notifications so you don't actually miss it because my view count was significantly less than
2: i did notice that yeah
0: than, than for previous and it felt it felt like it was due to the copyright claim maybe not yeah. but, it, but it just yeah didn't. maybe so thanks for watching and uh as you'll see going forward it will be the it'll be the daystrom holodeck it will be the channel to watch and uh, next week, we'll cover uh, episode six. So check out Caleb's channel as always. Give him a subscribe. There's uh, Star Trek stuff over there if that's what you're looking for. But if you just like general prop building, 3D printing, more content like this where we, we review things, that's over there on his channel. So uh, give him a watch. Give him a like. Give him a subscribe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And until next time. See ya. (laughs) The Retrek Review is a Daystrom Holodeck podcast produced in association with the Plastic Underground Props. Hosted by Caleb Stoddard and Will Wilbur, Edited by Will Wilbur. Our intro song is by Kaylee Joy Rookledge. Our theme song is by Samos Studios, and our outro song is by Tommy T. Title card art created by Caleb Stoddard. Trophy art created by Adri Wilbur of Love by the Letters. Synopsis and written plot provided by memory-alpha.fandom.com Star Trek is created by Gene Roddenberry and all official clips, and pictures are owned by Paramount Pictures. You can follow us at the Plastic Underground Props and the Daystrom Holodeck on Instagram and on YouTube. Thanks for watching.